Please be seated. Today is Stewardship Sunday. Um, and if First Covenant Church was a uh, public radio or TV station, Stewardship Sunday would sound something like this. Thank you for coming to First Covenant Church, Seattle. It's because of people like you, the people in the pews, who make our ministry possible. We can't do it without you. We're so glad that you are coming back to us week after week, or maybe just once in a while. But it's people like you that make the difference. We need your help. We need your generous support if we are to continue this vital ministry on Capitol Hill in downtown Seattle. It was people like you, most of them dirt-poor Swedes, who came together over a hundred years ago and imagined a church that people would confuse with a bank or a courthouse. <laughs> so they put a dome on top with a cupola and a cross so there wouldn't be any confusion. We've been here in Seattle through all these years, through good times and bad, through war and depression, through rock and roll and grunge, long before people paid six dollars for a cup of coffee, we were here when the Amazon was a river in South America. <laughs> From our dome, we've seen the Smith Tower and the Space Needle go up and neighborhoods coming down. We were here when no one in their right mind would hang around on Pike Street late at night, and we're still here now that this street is a destination. And we stick out in the middle of all the microbreweries and the sidewalk cafes. We have been here since papers were publishing headlines about the Alaskan gold strike all the way to podcasts and Twitter. We've seen it all. And it's all because of people like you. Without you, without you, we couldn't have done it. If you are not a member of First Covenant Church, we encourage you to become a part of this congregation. As a member, you will have many benefits. You will get your own fob, and for those in our upper tier, a passkey. You'll get free parking on Sundays. But wait, that's not all. There's more. You'll get to worship in our historic sanctuary every week with pillars to hide behind. You'll get hymns to sing, including treasures like Amazing Grace, Children of the Heavenly Father, and the ever-popular How Great Thou Art. You'll be led by the finest musicians, a choir, and once a month, a string band. You will hear scripture read like you have never heard it read before. And you get a sermon every week, whether you want one or not. But that's not all. 
There's Sunday school for all ages, children's church, and most important of all, free coffee and cookies. Dial the number at the bottom of your screen. That's 206-322-7411. 206-322-7411. Operators are standing by waiting for your call. But there's more. With your membership, you get pastoral visits, hospital visits, and we marry and bury. <laughs> yes, all for an offering of your choice in the plate in the pew on Sunday, or on breeze, deducted automatically from your bank accounts. You get a community meal most Sundays, time with friends, the chance to meet new people, trunk or treat, and Yule Fest, a service in Swedish that no one understands with buttered and cheesed Swedish rye bread and little round butter cookies called spritz. And we pull out all the stops at Easter. All this and more. You have a chance to serve breakfast to the hungry homeless every Saturday morning. Work with others in exciting ministry to our community. We can't do it without you. Become a member today. That's 206-322-7411. That's 206-322-7411. I know you want to get back to our sermon, but I want to give you that number one more time. 206-322-7411. First Covenant Church Seattle, join today. Become a regular giver. Well, you get the idea. <laughs> That's what it would be like if we were a public television or... But you see, we don't do that to you. But think about all that we share and all that we have together here. Now, in our gospel text, we are reminded that Jesus has a way of telling stories about people <clears throat> in which they see themselves. And what they see, they don't like. That the stories are about them are unmistakable. And so it is with today's reading in the Gospel of Mark. In the verses before the text that was read, these people try their best to trip up Jesus, to set him up with a question, to challenge him, they are protecting <clears throat> what belongs to them or what they think belongs to them. They are protecting it from someone who threatens their control and their authority. And they are the protectors of religious tradition. Unless you think that's something that is long past, it's something very real in our own world. These are the chief priests and the scribes. They question Jesus' authority to do what he's doing. <clears throat> By what authority do you act, they ask him. And like a good rabbi, Jesus answers their question with a question. I'll answer your question, Jesus tells them, if you answer this question. 
The people listening look back and forth from Jesus to the scribes and the chief priests. By what authority, Jesus asks, was the baptism of John? Did it come from God, or did he act on his own? And they talk among themselves, and we get to listen into the conversation. And they say, if we say it was, John's authority came from God, then he's going to ask us, why didn't you believe? And we'll look like fools. But, but if we say that John acted on his own, that will make everyone in the crowd mad, and we'll be in trouble. There's no telling what they might do, because they believed John was a prophet. They're in a tight spot. They realize they can't win either way. What shall we do? Let's tell them we don't know. So they say to Jesus, we don't know. And the crowd looks back at Jesus, and he smiles, and he says, then I won't tell you by what authority I act either. The rabbi from Nazareth makes them look like fools. And then he tells them a story about a vineyard, which we heard read earlier. A story in which they see themselves and they do not like what they see. To understand this parable, look back at the reading from Isaiah. Israel is called the Lord's vineyard, a vineyard planted in rich soil on a hill, cleared of rocks, planted with the best vines that would make the best wine, but instead, wild grapes grow there. <clears throat> and so the Lord pulls down the wall around the vineyard. The vineyard is trampled and destroyed and becomes a wasteland overgrown with weeds and thorns. It's neglected and abandoned. The Lord expected justice, Isaiah says, but saw instead only bloodshed, fighting, and squabbling. All who hear Jesus' parable hear <clears throat> and who see, they see themselves in Isaiah's description, and they squirm. A man planted a vineyard, Jesus says. He put a fence around it, dug a pit <clears throat> where the grapes would be pressed into wine, and he put up a watchtower and he leased the vineyard to some tenants and then left them for a while. And at the time of harvest, when the wine was made and sold, the owner of the vineyard sent a servant to collect the rent and his share of the wine. But the renters beat him up and sent him away with nothing. And so the man who owned the vineyard sent another servant who they clubbed over the head. <clears throat> and then he sent another and the renters killed him. So he sent his son, his beloved son, to collect the rent, thinking, they will respect my son. But instead, the renters kill him, and they dump his body outside the walls of the vineyard. They say to each other, now we'll get everything, everything for ourselves. The tenants of the vineyard forgot that they were renters, and they convinced themselves that the vineyard was theirs. They thought they could do anything they wanted. And then Jesus asks a question. 
What will the owner of the vineyard do? He'll come back. He'll take back the vineyard that never belonged to them, and he'll give it to someone else. And those who claim the vineyard for their own will get what's coming to them, and it won't be Chardonnay. You reap what you sow. In this parable of judgment is the whole story of the scriptures. But more than that is the whole story of human history, the story of you and me, In a word, our lives are given to us, but they do not belong to us. The only reason you were born, the only reason you exist, the only reason you woke up this morning, the only reason you are drawing a breath right now is to give your life back to God and to have some fun doing it. Did you get that? That's the only reason you're alive. Is to give your life back to God and to have some fun doing that. Your life is a gift of grace. You might never have been. And all that you are, all that you have, does not belong to you or me. It's ours for just a little while. We do not own our lives. We borrow them. Think about that. We do not own our lives. We borrow them. Our worth is not in what we have collected and accumulated. It's not in what we can take or keep. Our worth is in what we can give away. This is really crazy stuff, isn't it? The parable of the rich fool in the Gospel of Luke reminds us that our life has never belonged to us, that our life does not consist of the sum of our possessions, the things we have, the things we keep. That is not our life. Our life, instead, is a gift from God, pure and simple, and it belongs to God. Whose is it? God's. All of it. Those who would keep their lives, Jesus says, will lose them. But those who lose their lives, let go of their lives for my sake, will find them. It's a completely different frame through which to look at your life. To live not as if you have something to lose, but that knowing you have enough to recklessly give away your life. The more you have, the less you have. The less you have, the more you have, according to Jesus. It is to live life without fear because you have nothing to lose. None of it is ours to begin with. And in the end, none of it is ours to keep. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, Decide not to give your life back to God grudgingly, reluctantly, under compulsion. Give your life back to God because you just can't help yourself. Because it's so much fun to give your life away. 
If you are stingy in your giving, Paul says, you'll be stingy in everything else. God loves a cheerful giver, he says. The vineyard belongs to God. But like the tenants in the parable, we are tempted to believe that it belongs to us, all of it. So we become stingy, careful. When I was uh, in college in Chicago, some friends of mine went downtown, down to the Loop, uh, one day just, just for some fun. Before they left, they filled their pockets with dimes and nickels and pennies, maybe a few quarters. And they uh, walked downtown, Michigan Avenue, Wabash, and whenever they saw a well-dressed person, they'd walk up to them and ask, spare change? And the normal, the the usual response was, no, I I don't have any spare change. Then they'd reach into their pocket, pull out a little bit of money, and say, well, here, have some. (laughs) Here, have some. Day after day, from the beginning to the end of our life, from our first breath until our last, God shows up in disguise, sidles up alongside us and asks, spare change? And just when we think we're getting ripped off or when that we will be obligated, we get a handful of grace we never saw coming. The tighter you cling to what you have, the less you have, and the more freely you let go of what you have, the more you will receive. Maybe a gift has been given um, to us of some money. Have some fun giving it back to God. Maybe the gift you have been given is lots of time. Many people don't have any time at all. Have some fun giving it back to God. Maybe your gift is listening to others. Listen to others and have some fun giving it back to God. Maybe your gift is compassion and you feel the pain of others deeply. Feel their pain. Enter into the world of real people. And in that moment, when you find yourself together, Give it back to God. Whatever you have been given, it has been given to you to give away. Yesterday here, uh, we had a work day. Um, And uh, for those of you who have never seen it, uh, Martina saw it. She was in that window right up there looking out, supervising the whole process. Right, Martina? Lowering the chandelier so that we could replace burned-out bulbs. And I don't know if any of you noticed today, but there's a bit more light 
on us today. It was an amazing thing. And I was asked by Todd Larson <clears throat> if I wanted to crawl around between the organ pipes and the stained glass windows and replace bulbs. <clears throat> now, one of my gifts is crawling around. I mean, it's not as easy as it used to be, but I still crawl around. And so we went back there into this secret place, this magnificent place. You never see it. The pipes are beautiful. Don't touch them. And down on either end are the walls from the first, the original sanctuary here, and you can see a painted pattern on those walls from those days. And then the stained glass windows, removing these. We replaced the bulbs, and if you care to look, I was telling Todd this this morning, you, you'll see that Jesus is shining a little brighter. We crawled around, we replaced bulbs, we got out of there with doing too much, dam uh, doing too much damage, and we had fun giving it to God. Whatever it is, whatever you can do, whoever you are, you have something you can give back to God. Psalm 107, beautifully read. You heard the refrain, all of these people who found themselves in trouble and cried out, and they were delivered. And then come these words, repeated again and again, and let this be our words on this Stewardship Sunday. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, his wonderful work for humankind. What we bring here in our gifts, in our lives, is not a guilt offering, but a thank offering. Not a guilt offering, but a thank offering. And our whole reason for gathering is one of celebration, not obligation. Remember that. Every week when we gather together, let's give our lives back to God and have some fun doing it. Amen.